Today, mate, 40 here. These songs we sing, Anim's Mirot. These songs we weave, Anim's Mirot. From where they come to where they go, these songs we sing, Anim's Mirot. Okay, so who are the great reactionaries today? And don't tell me Peter Hitchens. Like, he is so dumb that if he is peak reactionary today, I can't handle it. I can't take it. I mean, his perspectives are so shallow. His output is so low IQ. Surely there have to be better representatives of the reactionary perspective than Peter Hitchens. I don't want to hear about Peter Hitchens. So I nominate the greatest living reactionary, Paul Gottfried. If not Paul Gottfried, the founder of paleoconservatism, then Kevin Michael Grace. Is uh, Kevin Michael Grace the greatest reactionary today? Millennial Woes. Is Millennial Woes the greatest reactionary today? Norvin Hobbs. Is Norvin the greatest reactionary today? What about Vivian Veritas? Is she the greatest reactionary today? Or Dennis Dale in Portland. Is he the greatest living reactionary? Perhaps Kevin Michael Grace. I'm thinking maybe Kevin Michael Grace. How did we fail Kevin Michael Grace? I mean, why isn't this guy doing live streams every day? I feel like I'm to blame. I feel like you're to blame. I feel like we are to blame. The greatest living reactionary has stepped away from the pulpit. Isn't Kevin Michael Grace the greatest living reactionary today? Who is the greatest living reactionary today? So, Janan Ganesh, I spent... Uh, something like $184 to subscribe to the Financial Times for a year so that I could read the bi-weekly columns of Janan Ganesh. He's from Sri Lanka, and he is the most prestigious op-ed columnist around today. And he is doggone good. And he's just got a new column on where did all the reactionaries go? Is And I think he's on to something. Yeah, I spent $184. That's what I did for you. Right? I'm willing to, to shell out to get the, the latest and greatest content from other people and bring it to you in watered-down form with links. Yes, links. So Janan Ganesh, right? he has been reading the latest biography of George Kennan, right? the great U.S. diplomat. And George Kennan had misgivings about automobiles, hot dogs, moving pictures, the universal franchise, advertising, Los Angeles, national distribution chains, women who work, non-whites, men who cry, modern hygiene, artificial fertilizer, and genes. What he liked was the pre-industrial Russia of Anton Chekhov. Right? So he used the verb re-primitivize, and he meant that as a good thing. And he would say things like, I hate the people. And so where did all the reactionaries go? Where is the elitist, pessimistic, anti-modern vein of thought that used to go by the name of paleoconservative? Where are the old fogies? Because the right, as we now know it in the United States and in England and in Anglo countries, right, the, the right now exalts the people, wants to give them more power to the people. It wants to give them referendums. The right now backs the people against the establishment. And the traditionalist alt-right speaks in a blur of sci-fi references that George Kennan would regard as cultural trash. 
right? The traditionalist alt-right salutes Donald Trump, right? The, the distillation of all of modernity's crassness, right? No movement that centers on Palm Beach, Florida has a tragic view of life and history. So where are the reactionaries? So Janan is able to name just one reactionary commentator, Peter Hitchens, but I don't want to hear from <laughs> Peter Hitchens or about Peter Hitchens. I, I just never found reading Peter Hitchens or listening to Peter Hitchens a worthy investment of my time. So where are our modern Evelyn Wars? Right? Perhaps the closest thing we've got to a reactionary now at the upper end of Anglo life is King Charles, Charles III, because he's got gripes about glass buildings and industrial farming. So Janan Ganesh is the furthest thing you can get from a reactionary. He likes hot dogs, right? He says, reaction is the geometric opposite of my outlook and my life. My life relies on immigration, social mobility, big cities, and romantic freedom. He says, I find modernist Los Angeles more beautiful than Baroque Rome. The sound of traffic is my birdsong. But no civilized society can go without reactionaries. All right? They have occasional wisdom. They pretty much all oppose the Iraq War of 2003. Right? Reactionaries tend to be wry, convivial, and at ease with ambiguity. Right? They don't view politics as all that important next to eternal human nature, so they come alive on aesthetics. So a modern right-winger might ban TikTok to set China back in the epic struggle for mastery of the world, but a reactionary would simply ban TikTok because it is ghastly. So who are the great modern reactionaries. Luke says they died or they got cancelled. Bro, uh, Medaphnil and B-Forgan Capsules kosher asking for a friend. Yes, they are kosher because it's pekuach nefesh. Right? If you're doing it to save your life, then pretty much anything is kosher. Pekuach nefesh, to save a life. And for me, Modafinil and B-Forgan capsules are absolutely life-saving. Forty, do you realize you can bypass paywalls? I don't want to bother. All right. And I'm a man who wants to give back. All right. It used to be that people would accuse me of just taking, taking, taking. And, you know, the ladies would, would leave my place after a weekend and they'd be tired and they'd be sore and they'd be worn out. And they'd be convinced that I was a taker, not a giver. Well, now I want to give, 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 including to the great newspapers of the world, such as the Financial Times. Peter Hitchens has a son who is a reactionary commentator. Uh, Modafinil and beef organ capsules kosher for Passover. Yes, because they are pekuach nefesh. Okay, half Galician, I need you to call in. You've got my number. All right, so let's do this. There are no longer any excuses. We have never spoken. So imagine we could share such an intimate moment live, all right, on the internet. All right, yeah. Beef organ capsules and modafinil can save your life, bro. Elliot Blatt is our southern <laughs> agrarian. <laughs> yeah, is, is Elliot Blatt our last great reactionary? All right. Blood sports. Internet blood sports. Right? Are they kosher? Are they kosher for Passover? Could they save the world? 
looking at a column here by Michael Schaefer, senior editor at Politico. He says, sorry, John Stewart, America needs crossfire again. The CNN debate show is indeed like pro wrestling and our political landscape is worth without it. Uh, has any piece of media criticism had such an immediate impact or such a lousy legacy as John Stewart's famous takedown of Crossfire? So back in 2004, John Stewart showed up on Crossfire and denounced its hosts, Paul Begala and Tucker Carlson, for hurting America. So his complaints, John Stewart's complaints, was that show often. Topics were selected for pyrotechnics rather than enlightenment, and political hackery was the order of the day. Stop, 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 Stuart pleaded with the host Tucker Carlson and Paul Begala. Stop. Now, I don't know the meaning of the word stop. I don't know the meaning of the word don't. I don't know the meaning of the word quit. All right, this exchange went viral. Liberals swooned. High-minded critics nodded in approval. Right? And within a few months, Crossfire back in 2004 was killed off. Right? John Stewart had destroyed the show's credibility. So what do we got now? Right? The closest we've got is The Daily Show is now currently rotating through a series of guest hosts, looks for a permanent occupant of John Stewart's old seat. Late last month, Al Franken had a stint. And he brought his old senatorial colleague, Lindsey Graham, on. And so for 20 minutes, these frenemies made their way through a range of issues. So it was not exactly William F. Buckley debating Gore Vidal. It wasn't even that different from Paul Begala, Tucker Carlson version of Crossfire. But in 2023, it was a rare bit of content. Right? You got people arguing. So this entire genre of programming has vanished. All right? We had Internet Blood Sports in 2018. And Internet Blood Sports has largely disappeared from the Internet. And and I, I, I can't be bothered to revive it. I mean, I don't want to lose out on my key Shabbat invitations. I don't want to lose out on my Beverly Hills globalist dinner parties. No, I just don't want the aggro of hosting Internet Blood Sports. But surely someone needs to do it for America. Look, hold up a box of matzah. You want matzah? I'll show you matzah. How do you like this? Is this enough matzah for you? I have a hard time digesting matzah. Right, matzah does not go down well for me. So the only matzah that I've eaten this Passover is that which was halakhically required during the Passover Seder. So other than that, I haven't even cracked open this box of matzah that I brought home. So I've mainly been living on kosher for Passover chocolate and kosher for Passover cheese. But enough about me. I'm someone who's incredibly other-directed. Luke Croft says the Financial Times are taking $184 a year from a wise, frugal Jewish man. Are Asian massage parlors kosher, bro? Yeah, they can save your life. No, that is a delusion. They're not kosher, bro. Ford is the leading cause of anti-Semitism and its solution. <laughs> from a good friend. Forty won't get into those Lizard Lodge cocktail parties if he does blood sports. Matzah is for prisoners. You want matzah in bulk, bro? Forty has that. Forty's Anglo constitution is ill-suited for Semitic foodstuffs. Yeah.
painful. All right, so two decades after Jon Stewart went on The Daily Show and destroyed it. I mean, what we've got on TV now is dramatically less edifying, right? So what people want are long monologues by people they agree with. So Tucker Carlson, right, his, his show, they carefully study the ratings. They don't, his viewers don't want debates. They want Tucker Carlson going on a long monologue and then a friendly conversation with someone who supports the point of the opening monologue, right? All designed for audience comfort. So rarely does anything on TV anymore puncture the bubble. Like I really like the TV show New Amsterdam, but it's just incredibly woke. Right, so Tucker Carlson, according to Jon Stewart, back in 2004, he was hurting America. But uh, I think most disinterested observers would say Tucker's hurting America more nowadays than he was back then. So perhaps it was this humiliation at the hands of Jon Stewart that spurred Tucker Carlson's evolution. Trump at the WHCA style, from bowtie TV prepster to the ideological force he's become today. So it's not just politics. The media landscape used to be home for debates between architecture or art critics. Sports now is the one arena in which the form lives on. So sports have become increasingly highbrow. Culture has become increasingly lowbrow. Who said that? A very wise man who's a columnist at the Financial Times, right? Someone I spent $184 a year to subscribe to. And he's got a great column on how football got smart and art got dumb. So sport now is discussed with more depth and wit than culture. Right, so someone should compile a book called You Hear the Dundest Things at the Emirates, meaning the, is that the Chelsea Stadium? So a former colleague said the Chelsea, you know, soccer stadium in London is the only sports stadium in which he's seen someone with a copy of Vanity Fair, not the magazine, okay, the 19th century novel by Thackeray. There's an incident when goalkeeper Julio Caesar earned the admiration of the home crowd. We came to bury Caesar, how a dissenting voice not to praise him. So the membrane that used to seal football from the life of the mind has become ever more porous. So there's lots of good writing now around sport, right? There's more tactical analysis than you can keep up with or even fathom on podcasts, on YouTube, on Twitter. So next to political and cultural debate, the sports debate tone is sharper, droller, more elusive to other bodies of knowledge. So what happened? We've got soccer hooliganism has declined. White collar fans now follow sports such as soccer in England without social stigma. So Martin Amos used to feel like a prole in polite company. Then from 2008, when Pep Guardiola took over as manager of Barcelona, football has become much more tactically complex. So people with a forensic cast of mind now drawn to football, a subject that may once have bored them. And social media has given these people a platform. So the result is ever richer and more mind-stretching sports discourse than was even conceivable a generation ago. So football has gone through an intellectual revolution. Sports talk has gone through an intellectual revolution. Arts discourse has gone the other way. Right? Arts discourse just gets dumber and dumber. So culture is now primarily treated ideologically. It's harder and harder to discuss or read about art qua art. Like art is now a window into power relations. You can get lots of that kind of analysis. But if you want 
you know, really fun, profound, deep investigations, then you have to go to Sports Talk. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. A rare venture outside the studio for us. We're coming to you from a wet and windy Palm Beach, Florida, right outside, across the water, actually, from Mar-a-Lago. We spent the day there talking to former President Donald Trump. It was his first interview since he was arraigned in a Manhattan criminal court exactly one week ago. The Republican frontrunner for president arrested by a Democratic prosecutor on political grounds. Nothing like that has ever happened, and we wanted to hear from the man who experienced it. The conversation went in a lot of different directions, heavily on foreign policy. An amazing, really an amazing conversation. Here's how it began. Mr. President, thank you for having us. Thank you. Last week you were in New York for this arraignment. The world watched it. You've not given an interview since. You were there, I think, 57 minutes. Tell us from your perspective what that was like. Well, it was a horrible thing because I did nothing wrong. Absolutely nothing wrong. You look at even the pundits and the legal analysis, Greg Jarrett, all of these really talented people, they're saying he didn't do anything wrong. So that's number one. Number two, they were incredible. When I went to the courthouse, which is also a prison in a sense, uh, they signed me in. And I'll tell you, people were crying. People that work there, professionally work there, that have no problems putting in murderers and they see everybody. It's tough, tough place. And they were crying. They were actually crying. They said, I'm sorry. Uh, they'd say, 2024, sir, 2024. And tears are pouring down their eyes. I've never seen anything like that. Those people are phenomenal. Those are your police. Yep. Those are the people that work at the courthouse. They're unbelievable people. Uh, many of them were in tears or close to it. Uh, many apologists were sorry, sir. We're sorry. They had to have me do certain things. They said, sir, I, I can't believe I have to ask you. I can't even believe that I have to ask you to do it. You could see. So in one sense, it was beautiful because they get it. Uh, in another sense, you know, it's nasty. I went to the Wharton School of Finance. They didn't teach me about that. That wasn't like <laughs> they didn't in the, about the no, arraignment that part. They, that wasn't that wasn't we didn't have a class on arraignment. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's, it was a sad day in many ways. And in many days, ways, it was a beautiful day because the people understand. I didn't know this was happening, but the poll numbers have gone through the roof. The people get it. And the other ones are hoaxes also. You know, the box hoax. Look at Biden. He's got 1,850 boxes. And, you know, that's a hoax. And then the one in Atlanta where I had a perfect phone call. This is all weaponization. They're weaponizing our justice system, Tucker. And they think if they go and give you a subpoena, you know, I guess I'm very well known and people understand it and they get it and maybe I have a bigger platform so I can explain it. But if you're somebody, a Republican, let's say, running for office and you get a subpoena, you might as well resign because you're not going to be able to survive it. And you, the voters aren't going to handle it. The voters aren't going to take it. What they're doing is weaponizing the system and there's never been anything like it. And it's all disinformation. You see, the other day... Uh, Afghanistan, one of the worst things I've ever seen. I think the most embarrassing moment that this country's ever had, frankly. The way we got out, not the getting out. We had to get out. It was ridiculous to be there. And I had that so good, so tight, so tough. I spoke to the leader, Abdul. I said, Abdul, if you do anything, you're going to get hit really hard. Literally, I even, he said, 
But so why, why? He goes, why, oh, why do you send me a picture of my house? I said, you'll have to figure that one out, Abdul. But we didn't have one death in 18 months. He knew, not one death. And then to see the way we got out, like we were surrendering, like taking the military out first, leaving $85 billion worth of equipment behind, giving up Bagram. I was going to keep Bagram. I was getting out, but not for Afghanistan. It's one hour away from where China makes its nuclear weapons. It's one of the biggest Air Force bases in the world, I think the biggest, with runways that go 10,000 feet. I was keeping that because of China, not because of Afghanistan. Right. And they, they left everything. They, they left in the dark of night. They left the lights on. They left the dogs, by the way. You know, the people they say left about the dogs? the dogs. They left the dogs. Everyone, you know, the dog lovers. And you got a lot of them. I love dogs. You love dogs. But they left the dogs. People said, what? One of the first questions I got, what did they do with the dogs? Mostly German shepherds. They left them. Uh, what they did, the way they got out, was so horrible. Okay, everybody knows that was their plan. That had nothing to do with me. I was getting out, too. We would have gotten out with strength and dignity. And what happened? They got out. And the other day I hear, yeah, it was uh, Trump's fault. Oh, that's right. It was Trump. Trump. I was gone for a long I would have been out faster than them. We would have had all the equipment. We would have had the American citizens. We left hostages. We left Americans behind. Many. I think many more than you think. Uh, and we had 13 soldiers killed. And nobody ever mentions the fact that we had many maimed so badly. No arms, no legs. Their face was obliterated. This is the way this guy got out. We would have gotten out with dignity and strength. We were going to. But I was taking 100% of, I said, I want every nail. I want every. Okay. There he is. Donald Trump, his first interview since getting indicted and arrested. Let's go to the chat. Laponius imitates Donald Trump. It was a perfect presidency. Ask anyone. Glib Medley notes, they say the smaller the ball, the greater literature. And after Donald Trump was indicted and arrested, Glib Medley correctly notes, Trump gave a whiny speech afterwards. That was wrong. Yep, rehash the same old whiny stuff. Still would vote for him if I could. My God, they left the dogs. They left the dogs. Forty gives us Tuckums as a reward. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll dish out a little bit of hate porn. All right, just a little bit of hate porn, but not too much. Should only, you know, consume moderate amounts of hate porn. All right. Football got smart and culture got dumb. So the culture vulture now has just two options. This is Janan Ganesh in the Financial Times. They're spending $184 a year for this. One side, you've got the lowest common denominator programming. On the other side, you've got jargon-rich iconoclasm. Should we problematize Mozart? There's just no escape online. The ecosystem of podcasts and vlogs is not a tenth as good or as original as soccer podcasts and vlogs. No wonder I find myself turning ever more to the sport for content. It goes deeper than Arsenal's present run of form. I mean, really, is Arsenal going to win the Premier League this year? There is an old idea of football as where people go to let out something primal. That hasn't stopped being true, but more and more, it's also where people go to take their brain for a ramble. So society perhaps never dumbs down. The intellectual energy is more or less fixed. It just moves from one domain to another. Perhaps because the stakes are so low, football now gives more license than the arts to those of us 
who are curious and have an argumentative bent. Call it a safe space. All right, that's what I'm spending, $184 a year. Money very well spent. Janan Ganesh, consistently thought-provoking here in the Financial Times. My God. And he just keeps bringing it. All right, this is Janan Ganesh, April 7th. All right, how art forgot the Aravista. Right, culture has a jaded mood now because the creative professions are full of downwardly mobile people. All right, where are the great chroniclers of social climbing today? Uh, social climbing is emotionally exposing. It means gradual estrangement from kin, from the people you grew up with, from the people who were once your closest friends. It is personal and it is universal. Social climbing, right? It is... Another word for it is just a phrase for it is just trying to get on. So we have artists who have rendered the subject in ways tragic, such as Jay Gatsby, Sweet, David Copperfield, Complex, Rustinach, Broad, Del Boy. It is the story in almost all of drama. It's a way of retelling the Odyssey. And it's the greatest TV shows of our current era. It's about social climbing, Succession, Downton Abbey, Succession, show about rich people vying to stay rich, Downton Abbey, show about where Aristocracy goes to seed. Fleabag, you can find that on Amazon Prime, show about treading water. The zeitgeist author today is Sally Rooney, the bard of disappointment who resonates in an era of graduates living four to a house as they cross age 30. Then there is the telling seriousness with which sci-fi is now taking, which I cannot relate to. Sci-fi or fantasy is a genre that invents these closed worlds that abstract one away from our own social hierarchy where characters face challenges to smite this orc or whatever. But uh, you get to avoid the classic story of material self-betterment. So where did the social climber in the arts go? Who is chronicling? Who are, who are the best chroniclers today of social climbing? Who is explaining on the page and on the screen the jaded anti-aspirational mood? So the economist Walter Badger columnist wrote last month that in publishing every third person is called Sophie same is true in theater galleries TV and the features end of journalism the pay is so much worse than in the corporate professions as cities grow ever more expensive creative work increasingly tends to attract people who either have parental help with uh, their living expenses or they have accepted their downward mobility so we now have a cultural blind spot for social climbers, for the unironic ambition, for the parvenu. Right, there's still a world of desperate striving going on all around us. We've got motivational speakers laid on by Pentecostal churches. We've got the Lost Boys following Andrew Tate and other online hucksters. It is just as much a spirit of our present age as any other time. But who are the best chroniclers of social striving today and Janan Ganesh who's middle-aged says my, my will to strive now is only half there I've gotten most of what I wanted sophisticated ennui is not where the drama of life is I was poorer gaucher meaning more crass I was worse read I was less confident but I was much much more alive at age 23 than I am now man I just shared with you four great columns by Janan Ganesh. Okay, let's go to perhaps the greatest living thinker that we have today. 
who's explaining the world out around us with wit, with wisdom. So in the TV show Succession, which is somewhat modeled on the Murdoch family, uh, Connor Roy is the oldest of the siblings and the most neglected and probably the least loved. And he tells his siblings in this season that uh, he doesn't need love. That is his superpower. Okay, so he says his other three siblings are all love junkies, right? but he doesn't need love. Well, guess what? Connor Roy needs love too. We all need love, bro. No man is an island. So that's why I set up this channel, to create a safe space for bros to give and receive love without coming down with the monkey pox, without feeling social pressure to take a hit on the old crack pipe, right? without any need to do any crystal meth. Right? This is a safe space to, to give and receive love without feeling any obligation to participate in water sports. Right? This is a water sports free you know, love zone. Now, Connor Roy is under the delusion that he doesn't need love, but Connor needs love too, man. We all need to love and be loved. And people like Connor Roy who think they don't need love, their, their need for love just gets warped. It just becomes perverse. They transmute their need for love into all sorts of usually you know, maladaptive, frequently anti-social pursuits. So Connor Roy is running for president of the United States to try to fill his need for love. Like a lot of politicians, you can, you can see that what's driving them is they need to fill up their, their need for love. But that's just what, right? Yeah, Connor Roy is spending tens of millions of dollars to try to hold on to his 1% support in New Hampshire, in the New Hampshire primary. And uh, that's a pretty warped way to try to get love. I mean, he's, he marries a prostitute, right? It's like something out of the book of Hosea in, in the Bible where God uh, commands the prophet Hosea to go, to go you know, marry a prostitute. I mean, it's a little bit like how God commanded me to go investigate the uh, San Fernando Valley pornography industry. I mean, I didn't want to do that. I said, God, it's so dirty, it's so disgusting, it's gonna, it's gonna impurify my you know, vital bodily fluids, it's gonna you know, tarnish my soul, it's gonna damage my reputation. But God says, no, nope, 40, porn. You need to go write about the porn industry, go blog about the porn industry. And so what can I do? I followed you know, God's directives. But I kind of identify with you know, Connor Roy and his grandiosity. I mean, that's how I dealt with my failures at you know, normal levels of human interaction. You know, my failures at the you know, normal ways to, to give and receive love. Like I dealt with my, my failures through delusions of grandeur. So much so that uh, my therapist once said to me, like a therapist I had for about five years, she said to me, I'd hate, hate to see you, you waste your life in delusions of grandeur. In fact, I think I might've had multiple therapists say that to me. I think another one said, I'd hate to see you end up as that guy at the bar talking about what he could have been. So it's vulnerable, it's painful, it's awkward, right? To, to need love and to, uh, and to give love. But it gets warped. And so another common way it gets warped that I've experienced is the desire to be rescued, whether the desire to rescue. Right? They both come from the same sick place. So I remember in 2007, I met this attractive, intelligent young woman who was a bit of a mess. All right? She was sleeping out of her car off her sister's couch and at the LA Press Club. Right? That's where she was sleeping. And so you know, I cleaned her up, brought her home, you know, took, her, you know, took her out to dinner. And she was just so faithful. She was just so you know, happy. She was just so flexible, just so you know, willing to go along with whatever I, I wanted to do. Now, I gave, her, I gave her a home, and it was absolutely thrilling to rescue her. But that thrill dissipated by about three months in. Right? Her own inability to take care of herself made her feel like a millstone around my neck. And I probably would have broken up with her shortly thereafter, but we took up chess. And so chess you know, extended our relationship about another six months. But I think blokes in particular, they often try to deny their need for love through delusions of grandeur such as creating a podcast, that live streaming with their opinion on uh, political, social, cultural, and religious issues. So I think much of the reason that women often have contempt for men who do podcasts is that it is you know, coming from a place of delusions of grandeur. It's not infrequent that men are inept 
at uh, basic human interactions, and so they try to you know, fill that, that hole in their soul, that gap in their life, by doing things like creating a podcast or, or live streaming. Because you know, this way you get to have interactions on your terms. So I'm not like the most flexible person when it comes to normal human interactions. And so inflexible people like me, we're really drawn to things like podcasting or live streaming, because that we get to have human interactions on our terms. But that's such an empty, barren, sterile life. My therapist would keep you know, teaching me how to negotiate normal human relationships. Oh man, it's so painful, kind of Roy. He marries a prostitute in the TV show Succession. Like, he's just so inept. He's got tens of millions of dollars, but just... Wow, gold there in them there hills. Absolute gold. Luke Croft says, does 40 consider bypassing paywalls a form of stealing? No. Would I like to save $184 a year? Well, I got a question for you, Luke Croft. Would you like to be after subscribe to any publication you wanted without giving any consideration to price? Would you like to be able to go into any showroom and just buy a car without worrying about money? Would you like to be rich beyond your wildest dreams? Right, some basic questions. If your answer is yes, then in the second half, bet the over in the Hawks versus Heat game. All right, I'm ripping off a Norm McDonald joke there. Okay, Art Bell had a comment on my latest video. Uh, he says, I like the sunny weather mini episodes. It'd be nice for Luke to save those for Luke breaks during the big show. Did you realize we got eight live viewers right now on YouTube? We've got like four live viewers on Rumble. I mean, this is the big show. Right, Zero Hedge says that San Francisco Whole Foods are too unsafe an area to operate for staff. They're closing down. Another article says four Walmarts have closed in downtown Chicago. The dream of limitless shoplifting in democratic cities is being taken away. I expect that Luke must drive for ages to reach a Walmart and its 75 cent Swiss, Swiss chocolate bars. Uh, I'm Jewish and so I do not go to Walmart. I don't know any Jews who shop in Walmart. Dennis Dale reports no Walmarts left in Oregon. So it'd be a win 40 for you to show off all these cheap chocolate bars. Dennis, I can buy these in my state. Our Wally's are open here in my state. Thank you. Thank you for those insights there from Art Bell. Jews don't go to Walmart. That's correct. Jews do not go to Walmart. Right. Politico, Elbridge Colby wants to finish what Donald Trump has started. So I read this guy's book on Taiwan. It was excellent. And he is a terrific thinker, important thinker. And he is probably the most powerful, influential, important foreign policy thinker on America's right wing. Politico says, Elbridge Colby wants to finish what Donald Trump started. Meet the conservative intellectual seeking to remake the GOP's foreign policy. So he's straight out central casting for a member of D.C.'s foreign policy elite. He has degrees from Harvard and Yale. has a membership to Washington's Metropolitan Club. He has the kind of clipped accent that you would expect from an American blue bud. Blue blood is a lightly fictionalized version of him that appears in the New York Times columnist Ross Douthat's memoir, his undergraduate years at Harvard, titled Privilege. 
He had a grandfather who was head of the CIA, but he is far from a deep state darling. He is the intellectual leader and rising star of an insurgent win in the Republican Party, rebelling against decades of dominant interventionist and Reaganite thinking. So for years, Elbridge Colby has held that China is the principal threat abroad. The United States should focus on Asia to the near exclusion of everywhere else, including Russia and Ukraine. So if Trump began the Republican Party's realignment away from the neoconservatives, who want the U.S. to serve as the world's policeman, Elbridge Colby, who worked for Trump as a Defense Department official, is now looking to make that shift permanent, especially since President Putin's invasion of Ukraine has drawn fresh eyes and resources toward confronting Russia. More in the GOP are coming around to Colby's point of view. So when Ron DeSantis in March dismissed Russia's war on Ukraine as mere territorial dispute and argued for a greater focus on the China threat, he was echoing Elbridge Colby. So Colby's views advancing with lightning speed in the Republican Party. So we have one Politico who says, I have a hard time identifying a single person in my lifetime in Washington, D.C., who has had a bigger impact in moving the needle of the debate on Ukraine and China. So Missouri Senator Josh Hawley says, Nowhere is Elbridge Colby's leadership clearer than in the current debate over trade-offs between aiding Ukraine and deterring China. So his foreign policy influences more than just another installment, long-running fight between isolationists and hawks in the GOP. It is part of the mounting revival of the Asia First doctrine that the Republicans championed in the aftermath of World War II. So there's a new China lobby forming in the GOP and Colby is its leader. It's a self-consciously realist approach to foreign affairs, very much in line with John J. Mearsheimer's perspective, very different from the neoconservative hawks who argue we should be primarily confronting Russia. So the Colby line holds that American military planning and resources should be directed toward the conflict with China over Taiwan. So Colby says Ukraine should not be the focus. The best way to avoid war with China is to prepare for it so that Beijing recognizes that an attack on Taiwan will fail. We need to be a hawk to get to a place where we can be a dove. So Colby has admirers throughout the right. That includes Tucker Carlson, Josh Hawley, J.D. Vance. Hawley says, Colby's, ah, Colby's advocacy for return to a realistic approach to American interests is exactly what the foreign policy establishment does not want, but it is exactly what America needs. And the GOP's skeptical faction on U.S. support for Ukraine has momentum. So Colby is leading the charge away from unlimited support for Ukraine. And he's pulling historically hawkish senators such as Senator Marco Rubio along with him. So in a recent essay in American Conservative, Rubio complained that Europe is not pulling its weight on defense and that the polite caretakers of American decline bend over backwards to appease China's communist regime. <laughs> Margot Rubio is such a lightweight. Okay, uh, Colby is also close to Heritage Foundation President Kevin Roberts, who helped lead opposition to legislation last year that provided $40 billion military and humanitarian aid to Ukraine. So about 60 House Republicans voted against it. Far from certain the Congress would pass such aid today.
So Roberts and Colby, so Roberts is the president of the Heritage Foundation, recently co-authored a piece in Time magazine asserting that our concentration on Ukraine has undermined our ability to address the worsening military situation in Asia, particularly around Taiwan. So Ron DeSantis and uh, Donald Trump are basically both on board with Elbridge Colby's you know, very realistic foreign policy. We screw. I want the tents. They said, sir, the tents are very hard to take out. I said, I want the tents. I want the tanks. I want the planes. I want everything. And a couple of them fought me on it, like Millie. He said, sir, I think it's cheaper to leave the equipment behind. I said, let me ask you, we have a plane that costs 100 Blessings to Elliot Blatt. What's going on, bro? You're looking good, man. Have you uh, been eating a lot of salad? Bro, I had a huge salad last night, and I'm going to have a huge salad tonight. And I can tell, man. That's exactly what I wanted to talk about, too. It's amazing intuition you have. Beautiful. You seem to be very disgusted by, uh, by my suggestion to you. No, it's just, I, that I, I'm not, it's just that I'm not gay. I mean, otherwise, I would love to no, I hear you. preparing salad. I hear you, bro. Salad, it's work, bro. If you want to live, if you want to be the best version of yourself, bro, you got to put in the time. I'm just not think? willing to uh, have sex with other men. I'm just, I mean, I'll, I'll leave. So you're going to buy a gay sick? You're gonna buy a CPAP machine instead, bro. Yeah, I'm gonna buy a CPAP machine. That's what a that's what a heterosexual does, bro. But foolish me and my prejudices and homophobia. Let me step back and allow you to make the case for for salad, bro. Well, it's just simple. Yeah, it's not the funnest. It's not the most fun thing to eat. You know, I, 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 let's be honest here. But you got to make a sacrifice. You know, if you want. You want to live at a higher level, you've got to, you've got to make sacrifices. And the easiest sacrifice to make is to just eat a salad, which, you know, great. It's not exciting, but it's not, it's not like it's water torture either. It's just like, you know, it's a blah meal. But you, 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 your lungs clean out, bro. You don't, you don't wheeze. You don't, you don't have this sort of asthmatic snoring that you have, bro. If this is what it takes. Why not do it? I mean, do you think Caesar was like, oh, bro, it's so hard. I don't know if I can cross this Rubicon. No, he just ate salad, dude. Yeah, you do sound a lot better. I mean, you used to be always filled with phlegm. Like, you sounded like you were dying for years. But I don't hear I know, any I, I had anymore. It had, you know, I had a very bad six months. I probably had COVID, truth be told. I probably had COVID. And monkeypox. Um, well, I'm not sure about that, my dude. But uh, it was definitely a bad. I had like the worst flu slash cold of my life, starting in December of this past year, and it's only now finally nearly gone. But it's not even entirely gone. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I can't tell you the virtue. Like salad is like a detergent for your body, dude. Like it, it like cleans you out at this this deep tissue level, you know. You know what also and, cleans you out is a lot of magnesium. You know, when I take magnesium yeah. supplements, it really cleans me out. But seriously, I would eat salad every day if I had someone who prepared it for me. Dude, you're talking about ten minutes here. You're acting like you're scaling the Matterhorn. It's not. You're just making a salad. It's not that hard to make. 
Look, as one of America's leading intellectuals, I just don't have time for, for trivia. You know, my mind is just, you know, focused on the big issues. Okay, fine, Luke. Fine, Luke. Buy a $1,000 CPAP machine, okay? Strap that thing on. Spend 10 minutes a night strapping that thing on and, you know, see where it gets you. I should. No, you're right. I should eat more salad. Like, it's my loss that I don't eat more salad. It's, your, yeah. it's such. Okay, in the bigger. Yes, it's annoying. It's 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 change of routine. I, I get it. All of that. But in the bigger scheme of things, it's if it means like I woke up this morning, Luke, feeling so refreshed, like I had sleep slept so deeply that I communed with the gods in in my overnight journey in bed. You know, I I I really like gotten to know things at a deeper level. And for what? For the for the small expenditure of effort of making a salad it's an it wasn't a price to pay it's, it's trivial you have to see the bigger picture my dear. yeah no you're, you're right i need to i need to eat more salad like whenever i have the opportunity like whenever i go out or there's a kiddish like i i always head for the for the salad no well okay here's the trick to making a good salad dude get some nuts and get some fruit now, by fruit, I either mean raisins or orange slices or tangerine slices, ideally smaller orange slices. And you mix a little bit of a little bit of fruit, and a little bit of nuts, into the regular sort of salad, you know, lettuce, radish, cucumber, tomato, onion thing. And it's a it's a great thing. It's a, you'll actually enjoy it. But you have to go those extra yards and get those other sort of and once you've done that and then you put some parmesan cheese that's the that's the trick bro parmesan cheese is that little bit of zest that you need to make a salad really feel like a meal yeah it's like what you're talking about like i live my life like a man who's just thrusting himself in and out of a woman but a man who really wants to bring his woman pleasure is going to, you know, use his hips in a circular motion to try to bring, you know, a lot of pressure to the to the top side of her vagina so he kind of grinds against the clit. But that requires him to put his pleasure secondary and to put her pleasure first. And so what you're talking about is, you know, put put what's good first and and, and put your own, you know, immediate gratification second. So I'm like a guy who's just thrusting in and out, you know, hammering away like a, a jackhammer. But you are like the master Lothario, you know, just grinding on the clit. That's right. I make sacrifices, Luke. You got to make sacrifices if you want, you know, happy wife, happy life, my dude. Are you on the beach right now? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm at the beach house. Yeah, at the beach, the dilapidated beach house. And it's it's a little um, it's a little unknown treasure in the city that I've discovered. Yes, I'm at the beach house. It's savoring life. So and I'm dreaming about that salad I'm going to have, bro. So uh, Laponia says I saw a ton of Orthodox Jews at a Walmart in upstate New York, and it's amazing. Can you figure this out? There's I think there's a Walmart in upstate New York. It's the only Walmart in the country that does not take returns. Can you can you figure out why a Walmart in upstate New York is the only Walmart in the country that does not take returns? Dude, that's racist, bro. 
I don't I don't go there. Well, apparently I, Orthodox I, Jews were taking advantage Luke. of the return policy. Love is love, Luke. Love is love. Okay? Well, I, I nothing about love. Generalizations. But right. apparently Orthodox Jews were taking advantage of the return policy and abusing it. So all these stores that used to have very generous return policy had to cancel them in upstate New York because of Orthodox Jews taking advantage. It's just an example of this Walmart reaching for excellence. You know, they're finding what's the best policy. You need a bunch of Orthodox Jews to teach Walmart what the best return policy is. And that's what they did. It's a service that they provided to Walmart. Do you do you shop at Walmart? No, I don't even I don't even think there's one in the Bay Area, bro. I don't even I don't I can't even remember last time I was in a Walmart. Just imagine dying in a Walmart. I mean, how depressing is that? You go to Walmart, like you get shot. This is like your final minutes on earth and you're in Walmart. Yeah, you're in Walmart, you're in the ammo line, you got like got a bunch of shotgun cartridges in your cart and then there you are boom dead on the floor like aisle 19 very ignominious and what make it worse is if the shooter used racist rhetoric (laughs) that would kill me that would be now now glib medley recommends making a watermelon feta cheese salad uh interesting Never thought of that combo. I've never thought of that I, combo either. That guy just blows my mind. It's a trick to a great salad, bro. Pecans. Do, do, do you go to Costco? Did you just go to Costco, bro? I don't. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I would go to Ralph's, I think, for about, uh, for the first uh, 22 cool. years of my life in Los Angeles, I, I bought all my groceries at Ralph's. And then the last five years, I've just ordered them delivered from Amazon. All right. Here's what you do. Get yourself a salad spinner, a nice glass bowl for whipping up the salad. Get yourself some pecans, some raisins, and then, you know, buy orange slices on a fresh. They got to be fresh. And then you do the regular sort of salad stuff that you get for Amazon. And then you get yourself a nice salad. You have it around four or five o'clock. You know, not too late, just before you stream, you know, then finish your salad, then you stream and then you sleep like a baby and then you work, you wake up, you know, like you've been reborn. It's that simple. Don't act like this is complicated. And uh, no, Elliot and I have never met in real life. We we did have a couple of, you know, very brief uh, telephone conversations when I was in like desperate need for tech support. But uh yeah. Otherwise, our our relationship has entirely played out on online. Uh, who, who do you think's the the greatest living reactionary? I'm wondering, Kevin Michael Grace. Living reactionary. Yeah, yeah. Or Paul Gottfried. Like, who would you say uh, you can name multiple? Oh boy, I don't know if I've kept this file before. I, mean, I guess Paul Gottfried probably. He's probably yeah. got like the best sort of. You know, learned takes on things. Not that I don't like Kevin Michael Grace, I do. Uh, but yeah, I guess you have to give the nod to to Paul Godfrey. Ha, have we failed Kevin Michael Grace, or has Kevin Michael Grace failed us by not live streaming for what it seems like three months now? 
Yeah, I haven't paid close attention. Um, he seems to be walking a very narrow line. And his economic situation seems very precarious. Um, so I'm glad whatever situation he's got is stabilized. But I do worry for him because um, seems to be... He shouldn't be in that situation at his age. Yeah, I know when my economic situation is not stable or I'm not not feeling optimistic about my economic situation, I, I drastically cut back on my live streaming because I just lack the confidence to stand and deliver, you know, or my opinions. If, if I don't have my, my finances sorted, I, I just don't have the confidence to step before a camera. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And, uh, yeah, I've really taken a lot of steps to shoring up my financial situation. And, uh, yeah, I don't know how I could just give opinions on the internet and expect that to be sufficient to carry me through. Right. Or even you how could things, you, you know, how, how do you give opinions when you're scared about your living situation? I mean, that, that is just so hard. Or even when you just simply lack confidence in your right. own ability to navigate reality. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a certain amount of hubris to say that, well, my opinions will carry me through, you know. Uh, it, it, to, to, like, say, say I'm going to stream full time, that takes a lot of balls. Balls You're I don't even, even part-time, like, I can't, I can't stream part-time if I'm not feeling confident. Like, as soon as I lose confidence in, in my life, in the direction, and you know, any, any financial issues or just lacking confidence in my financial situation. I, I dial way back on the live streaming because I just don't have the strength for it. I don't have the confidence for it. Like I hardly did any videos between 2012 and 2016 because I was carrying over $50,000 in credit card debt. And that just played over so that I just, I, I lacked the confidence to say anything about anything. I know what you mean. Like debt is a real mood killer. It's like this slow. It's like this extra ten pounds that you're carrying around in your daily life. Your your happiness can only go so high if you're carrying a lot of debt. I, I know. I know that feeling. Luckily, I've paid my debts. Uh, that's one burden I don't bear. But yeah, you 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 bring a very important point. Like, uh, I mean, any serious loss. Yeah, any serious loss, like any serious loss, I would dial way back on the live streaming. I would, I would be sad. I would be depressed. You know, loss of community, loss of friendships, loss of opportunities, any serious loss, I will immediately dial way back on on live streaming because I just don't have the the confidence or the zest. So how, how is how is your? I mean, I know this is a bit personal but how is your economic situation no i feel good i'm, I'm saving about a thousand dollars a month so 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 you like you get you got your alex i mean we we don't even know what you do during the day bro it's been like five years you've jealously guarded this secret for that long i mean not that i'm asking but are you, do you have like multiple sort of streams of income or are you doing the alexander technique what do you do with these days I, I just try to be of service to my fellow man, bro. Okay, so it's L not L the Kofi super chat. 
living a life of love and service i find is is the best is the best path to uh to uh, making money so w what else is going on online i mean you're a you're a connoisseur of the live streaming format do you do you think we need to bring back internet blood sports i mean we don't even have them on tv anymore we've got a paucity of them on the internet is this is this holding america back um i do miss it it was such a great time in the internet it was very blessed but also a short time I don't know. It, it, it gets weird. It seems to have devolved into gossip, you know, who's doing what, who's not doing what, who's a fed, who's not a fed. I mean, these these topics have lost interest to me. So, um, oh, I, I just canceled my uh, video. Um, do we need more blood sports? Sure. Why not? But I don't know. It seems to be a secondary pursuit for me, like these days. I, I don't tune in as vigorously as I used to. Did you fire your your employee? No, in fact, I've we had a heart to heart, you know, we had a little chat, little chit chat. We understood each other, and uh, he's turned the corner, bro. It's like I met him at the human level, and we discussed our needs, and he's been performing. So we're tight, bro. Wow. I've healed wow. the situation. Wow. I'm a healer, bro. I, and, I take I take lemons and I make lemonade, my dude. And what's going on with you and alcoholics these days? Have you like rescued any alcoholics recently? Well, good question, bro. You brought it up. So this alcoholic friend of mine, quote unquote, who's moved to the East Coast, he sort of reached out to me yesterday and he was looking for advice, you know. And at the same time, he was drinking, and it seems like, <laughs> and so I bring, you know, I try to casually bring up the idea that not drinking is what he needs to do, right? And that just seems to be a non-starter for him. And, um, and then he sort of mentions that he's got like, you know, suicidal ideation and so forth. And yeah, uh, he's looking for me to tell him, you know, he he, he plainly asked me for advice in a very direct way, and. Um, I sort of had a lot because you know any real solution is going to involve not drinking and that's the one thing that seems to be off the table at the same time and so like how do you talk to someone like that how much suicidal ideation will you put up with from you know people who are talking to you like I shut it down really quick I will not converse for very long with anyone who's expressing any suicidal ideation i just will not put up with it how, how much are you willing to put up with it well, i mean I, I guess i shut it down i tell him you know listen you know i've you know i've known this guy for 30 plus years i said come on man you've had all these interests these enthusiasms what excites you? you've got to sort of latch on to something that you're passionate about did i did i hang up Oh, okay. No, you, we're still together, oh, bro. Okay. okay. Yeah, I was trying to give him a pep talk, you know, and, and it's weird. Like, all he talks about is all this kind of stuff that he's online, these conspiracy theories. There seems to be a very tight correlation between alcoholism and conspiracy theory uh, indulgence. He, he seems to think that 
you know, the deck is stacked against him, that, you know, the great resets are trying to eliminate him, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I try to, uh, you know, I try to get him to see through that kind of stuff, but he doesn't, you know. And at the same time, you know, he, you know, he's calling for advice. He, he knows he wants to sort of break out of this, uh, but he's got this. And so he calls me thinking that there's some sort of magic key that I can deliver. And I can't deliver. I can only be, I can only encourage him to do things that are healthy. And, you know, how, what, how or when people are, are receptive to that message, you know, is just out of my control. I think certain percentage are, certain percentage aren't. And uh, I'm just trying to wade through it. But, you know, I gave it the old college try, as they say. How many of your friends are alcoholics? No, only this guy, I would say. Well, okay, put it this way. I, mean, I have friends that drink, but this guy's a bona fide. The only one, which is this guy, is a bona fide alcoholic. He, he, he drinks all the time and doesn't say wrong with it. <laughs> he he, he recognizes, you know, he... He he realizes that it's a problem. At the same time, uh, he's unwilling to stop doing it. So that's my definition of alcoholic. Uh, I have a lot of people that are hard drinkers, but they also sort of carry on somewhat semi-productive lives. So how do you take the edge off? Like you know, what what do you do? Do you like beer? Do you like liquor? Martinis? What do you what do you use? What do I use? Yeah. Uh, well, um, I just eat salad, bro, with pure fresh air. No, no, that's a joke. Well, give my brothers, yeah, a, a nice, a nice tequila drink is nice, dude. It really mellows you out in a very profound way. So, it's not a good habit, but you know, it has no odor. Is that correct? Does it have an odor? Tequila, tequila yeah. has a very slight odor. Okay, um, but it has. It's also got like this mildly hallucinogenic effect too. Um, it's really in a class by itself. It's um, like if you drink a lot of tequila, you'll you'll like talk to like interstitial beings. You know, like like. Like, you know, lizard people. Like these subtle beings will sort of infect your consciousness and encourage you, encourage you to. Uh, it's very, it's very hard to explain. It's like this other realm of consciousness that takes you to lead you to. I'm having a cramp right now. Sorry if my voice is cramped. I'm trying to ignore it. Your brain is not cramping, back. bro. Your your brain is as is, is as no, sharp it's as my back. So my brain, my brain it, is as sharp as a tack. So you, you you've never, but you know it's weird. Like, uh, you know, I don't want to be enthusiastic about drinking, but drinking is fun, bro. It really yeah. is. Yeah, I understand. I don't want to encourage people. I don't want to encourage people to do it. At the same time, you know, hard days work and a couple of drinks after work. God, it's the best. So, would you agree with Gavin Newsom that America has become way too clean and sober? 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Gavin Newsom's yes. onto something there, isn't he? Gavin Newsom was the mayor of San Francisco way a ways back, and he has a rather sordid past uh, involving uh, adultery. And nevertheless, this doesn't seem to uh, keep him from pursuing higher office, including, I guess he's sort of being intimated at as being the next Democratic candidate for the presidency, uh, which would be amazing. Do you, do you think that he might have an alcohol problem? Or is it, does he have an alcohol solution? Gavin Newsom, I think his family, either he or his family owned the this very famous ski resort in California called Squaw Valley. Yeah. And recently Squaw Valley had to change its name to Palisades. Because, oh, because Squaw was deemed to be politically incorrect, which I find amusing. But yeah, he's like old bunny California, what I understand. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't mind a drink. And he doesn't mind enjoying doesn't life. Mind. I mean, he's no. a man filled with life. Well, I don't know if you remember this, but Gavin Newsom, um, during the sort of peak of the pandemic, was photographed at this restaurant called the French Laundry. The French Laundry is probably the most expensive restaurant in America. It's like obscenely expensive. You know, it's 1%, the upper 1% only, you know. And he was photographed at the uh, French Laundry. And I didn't hold it against nice him. Meal. Like, I, I'm glad that he's enjoying life. But uh, the, the chat wants to know, do you have a perspective on Ethan Ralph? I, I've gone past my perspective of these valve is that he needs massive intervention by somebody that cares about him because he seems to be on a absolute collision course with suicide as far as I'm concerned. From everything I've seen, I don't know how, how long he can hold on this present. So what, what would you put but the I, over, over under on over under for Ethan Ralph another 18 months? Yeah, eighteen months, two years. Uh, he, he's he, unless barring some miracles, somebody intercedes and talks some sense into him. He's just he's making every wrong decision that one can make, as far as I'm concerned. So Ethan Ralph releasing a sex tape is that something that's going to boost his career, or do you think it's going to detract from his gravitas? <laughs> Dude, that's that's ancient history. I mean, yeah. How, how can it how, how can it enhance his chances? And he's basically pinned everything on live streaming, and his live streaming revenue is dwindling by the day. And you know, from what I learned from the Kino Casino, he's like he's streaming ten hours a day, trying to scrounge up two hundred dollars in donations. Um, I just don't think that's sustainable. I hate to be in that position. And he has no skills outside of streaming. You know. And if you have those skills outside of streaming, you're on a knife edge. You are really in a very precarious situation. And I don't know. I guess you, if somebody's been successful at live streaming, I don't think you can explain the danger that they're in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, my thoughts on Ethan Ralph is, you know, I, 
I don't want to like pile on at the guy, you know. I, I have no animus towards him, but boy, from the clips I've seen, he's just making a lot of bad choices. What kind of real world job do you think he'd be well suited for? Maybe in a in a warehouse. Ethan Ralph. Yeah. Or anybody. Ethan Ralph. Warehouse I don't manager. Know. I don't see. I don't see. I don't. That's just the problem. I don't see anything uh, in a warehouse not really a job that's going to bring home it's not sustainable for the long term you know warehouse is stepping stone job you know uh hr manager hr manager for a fortune 500 company yeah giving sensitivity workshops my 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 advice to anybody in this sort of strata if you can't code you gotta you gotta find something technical that you can't do. So and that would either be auto mechanics, which is my favorite, which I think a lot of people are missing out on because it's it's really a very well compensated profession. And I don't think the barrier for entry is that high. It's probably two years of sort of internship level working at an auto shop, learning the ropes. But after a couple of years, I think. You know, if you're a full-fledged mechanic, you're making deep into six figures. And I think that's a very satisfactory uh, living wage. And I think it's quite satisfying. I don't know any unhappy mechanics. Hmm. And what's going on with the Kino Casino? PPP and Worski, are they still going strong? Well, they took the week off last week. I guess they're they're doing very well and they're building a new studio. I think they've moved in together, which is kind of weird. Uh, so... Sure, that's sort of backing up. Um, they released a small clip. It was it was PPP and Andy uh, building their new studio. So I suspect they'll be back on Friday. And maybe I'll take another week. But I don't know how long this sort of gossip, sort of internecine all right gossip, is going to be good for. You know, I mean, Ralph. Half their content, their content is based on Ralph, and Ralph may may not be around forever. And God forbid. Dude. Now, what about Nick Fuentes? Is he back streaming every day? What's Fuentes doing? I don't know, but did you see that tweet? Like the inner dialogue between Milo and Nick? Oh, yeah. I saw it reference. I didn't read it, but I saw it reference. What What, what were the takeaways? <laughs> it was fascinating. Milo is basically coaching Nick, like telling him what to do and what not to do. And chastising them in places about sort of the the, the, the inner arts of uh, politics, like how to appear, how not, how to arrive at a place, you know, how to about the the theater of being a political leader and how how Nick was falling down in certain respects. It was it was a fascinating exchange. It must reading. It's it's a required reading. So uh, you know, I don't file Nick directly, but uh, that particular tweet was, was was very very interesting so yeah, I, I don't know Luke. I, I don't know I'm sort of checked out of like the day-to-day -day politics it, it just doesn't, doesn't are you do still much. are you still subscribing to Richard Spencer's Substack I am but I, I'm teetering right I'm giving him a few more weeks he's got to bring some of the bacon or brother you know that's it no more $9 shekels from me, bro. 
I want the goods. I don't want to hear about Nietzsche. You know, I don't want to hear them babbling about Nietzsche all the time. You know, it's not interesting. I think when Richard is talking about the American domestic scene, he's at his best. Mm -hmm. But when he starts going off into Nietzsche and uh, other topics, it just seems out of his depth. But I do like it when he talks to Charles Johnson, because I think Charles Johnson is just a very interesting figure, you know, just for his bombast. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, Charles Johnson is interesting. I mean, you have to be prepared to, you know, discount up to 80%, 90% of what he has to say and treasure the 10% of what he has to say that you won't hear anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I think there was a, like, are you a, do you have, do you subscribe to anybody on Substack? I love Substack. I've come to love it. Uh, I I was subscribing to Decoding the Gurus, but I, I canceled that just to afford my other subscriptions. So I, I pay $5 a month for uh, Mickey Cows talking to Robert Wright, that, that weekly video, which I think is through, yeah, no, that's through Patreon. So I Robert think, Wright or Robert Wright? Which, which Robert? Robert, W-R-I-G-H-T. Oh, okay. I thought you said Robert Wright. No. Yeah, I got a Robert Reich story for you. Okay. Can I give you that? Mm-hmm. So, like, years ago, when I when I was, I lived in San Francisco, I was moving back east to Boston, and I was taking the train across country for the dumbest possible reason. And I, I it was Labor Day, and I tuned into uh, the radio on the train in Oakland. You know, the train actually from Oakland, not San Francisco. So, anyway, I was tuned into... Uh, Tune to the radio, and Robert Reich was giving some sort of Labor Day address, you know? And I know who he was. He's that sort of, like, you know, dwarf that Clinton hired for the Labor Department or something. And I'm listening to it. It's just the same standard sort of kind of leftist NPR platitudes and so forth. And I listen to it, and I'm thinking, okay, Robert Reich. And then I take the train across the country, right? Three and a half days across the country to Boston. And then I get off the train, and then the next day, I'm walking around Boston, and who do I run into? Robert Reich. Wow. It was it was bizarre, bro. It was like one of those things. He was a guy you could run into casually in Boston all the time. Anyway, I, about- I, I sort of some anytime a synchronicity like that happens to me i just find it i think it had these transcendental overtones but, do you think uh whatever. donald trump should hire laura luma let's talk that he's going to hire luma bring it her on to totally she's totally inner circle material you know what why has he waited this long it's my only question okay bro any any final words for this evening no bro no no all right all right take care Good blessings chat. i'll talk to you Okay, right, sure. uh, let's have a look at this uh, Milo Yiannopoulos. So Red Pill Gang TV Twitter account says, I've obtained correspondence between Nick Fuentes, Milo Yiannopoulos, in which Milo can be seen repeatedly big-leaguing a meek and submissive Fuentes who is completely rattled after a poorly attended America First rally in New York. The clueless Fuentes seeks counsel from Milo, who schools him on everything from messaging to presentation. Towards the end of their conversation, Fuentes embarrassingly admits to being a shy nerd. 
I'm told that this is just the beginning of a massive message dump that exposes the countless failures and lies of Nick Fuentes. So here's how the conversation begins. This is from November 10, 2021. Do a better job marketing Saturday. Turnout today was pathetic. You can't be seen talking to such small groups. It makes you look ridiculous. Fix it. Fuentes, I was losing my mind today when I saw the small crowd. Milo, you're starting to feel unthreatening. This does not please me. Fuentes, give me some advice. Staten Island, what? Weekday, daytime, weird location. You effed up everything that could possibly have been effed up. But N-word, seriously. When I was where you are, I said, meet me in a bar in an hour in some random town. And I had 500 people. This is not good enough. Lack of proper planning. Lack of people around you with good instincts. Lack of proper priorities. Would have been better today if you'd have sent an advance when the crowd size was noticed. Nick doesn't show, much less damaging. You can shake off a little diva aura. You can't shake off the stench of death. I didn't love the God stuff today. It didn't feel sincere. We've got someone here with a crucifix. N-word. Really? You're lifting these speech texts from Trump rallies where there's 10,000 people to roar approval. You've got to learn how to speak to different size groups. Right now, you saw a bomb, and we have to fix that immediately. You have to professionalize. That doesn't mean losing the spontaneity and magic. I was always a mess. Mariah Carey is still a mess. But you need some quality lieutenants, and you need to start taking this seriously. I'll never talk to you like this when you're sabotage. But this is unforced errors. When you look small and pathetic like today, you make America first look small and pathetic. This Southern Poverty Law Center goon was like picking you off. Nick, yeah, I see all the same things you do, believe me. Milo, not in a rude way, but your stature works against you. There are ways to compensate. You have to think about drama and presentation, how you arrive, the mystery and the mythology. I always tower over the Southern Poverty Law Center runs. Nick, yeah, so how do I get taller? Milo, so I never look small or stupid. Nick, or compensate. Milo, think about pop stars, the arrival, the entourage, the vehicle. Nick, oh yeah, that's a good thought. A lot of them are tiny, but they arrive and the world stops because they know how to make an entrance. Study some of that. Nick, okay. Milo, you can't show up in the same outfit as last time with fluffy good boy hair and a bullhorn bigger than your head hanging off you. Like effing hell, dude. Have some slave hold it. Arrive in a Cadillac. Look like you mean business. Give your speech in front of the car. You need to project power. You have the charisma, but you need to start urgently developing the mystique, the aura, the mystery. Huge fail not doing the workout we talked about. Nick, you're right. Milo, and there's no good reason for it. Nick, true. Milo, you're either effing lazy, in which case, please tell me so I can stop wasting my time. Or you are panicked and frantic and headless, in which case you need to replace the people around you and start calling, discussing, consulting, properly plotting with all the smart people you know. I can't be the only resource at your fingertips you aren't using effectively. Who else? I mean, I'm sure I'm amazing, original, brilliant, a one-off, but you must have others. You don't have to say who, but you should start thinking in terms of advisors. You don't have to formalize it or even write it down, but you should have a call list. Who are my 10 smart people? And you pick up the phone when you need something and stop fumbling your way through with enthusiastic 20-year-olds and no adults in the room. Nick. It's just intimidating asking for help from established people. I'm kind of bashful when it comes to that. I recognize it's not going to work with that approach. Milo, I realize that you are at heart a shy nerd, but you have to get over that. Nick, how? Milo, I'm in, I'm in Detroit a lot more now. Easy to hop over. 
why don't we spend a few days just shooting SHIT? No objectives, no pressure, just talk and plan and think. Nick, okay, we can do that. I think, I think that would be helpful. $100 million, it's sitting there. All it needs is a tank of gas, right? Give me a little jet fuel. We'll fly it to Pakistan or any place else, or we'll fly it directly home. You say it's cheaper to leave a $100 million plane? Sir, I think overall it's cheaper. These are idiots we're dealing with. They left $85 billion worth of equipment. They left our American citizens behind. And they moved the military out first. No, you moved the military out last. I did a little skit with a five-year-old kid. I said, let me ask you, here's the situation. I explained the situation. I said, would you take the military out first or would you take it out last? I take it out last, five-year-old. But they took the military out first and they were afraid of our military. When I was there, they were afraid. We didn't have one soldier killed in 18 months. Not one soldier was killed in 18 months. And then we got out like... We surrendered. I think it was the single most embarrassing day in the history of our country. It was totally their fault. They didn't go by anything because, you know, we had a system of getting out. But if the Taliban, in particular the Taliban, because that's where the action was, right? I, I, when I called Abdul, the press went crazy. The fake news went crazy. Why did he call an enemy? I said, well, it's Jesse James. They used to ask him, why did he rob banks? He said, that's where the money is. Why did I call the head of the Taliban? Because that's where the killing was. And he's Okay, here is Nick uh, Fuentes defending Ali Alexander. Frank V sent $3. Sorry if retarded, but thoughts on the accusations against Ali? I know your retarded loser enemies don't have anything on you, so they attack your professional acquaintances. Anyways, God bless you, King. You know, I've heard about that stuff for a long time. And as far as I know, I don't know that there's anything new. I don't know that there's anything out there that's like, are there any accusers? As far as I know, there's some screenshots. And there have been screenshots floating around for years. But the claim is not he flirted with somebody because he, he's very open that he was bisexual at one point. Um, as far as I know, that's no longer the case, or at least not acting on it. But then there's this claim that he's an abuser and all, all this stuff. And you know what? I've heard for years from his adversaries who already don't like him. Well, it's just around the corner, just around the corner. There's going to be a report just around the corner. I say, well, can you show me the evidence now? They say, no. I'm like, okay. So the day that anything the day the charges are filed, the day that anything conclusive comes out of there, then, then I will have something to say about it. But until that point, you got some screenshots, some flirting that's going on. Now, it's not like, uh, you know, I don't find that savory at all. But uh, what people are making it out to be is a little ridiculous. Um. And I say, where's the receipts? That's what I, when it comes to anybody. When Jesse Lee Peterson was being accused by church militant, I was being told by the same people, you got to throw, for months, this hit piece on Jesse Lee Peterson came out, I want to say in June of last year. And I was told in like February or March, I was told Jesse Lee Peterson's a gay pedophile 
And you better just disavow him before this thing drops because it's going to be ugly and everyone's going to blame you. And I said, well, can I see the evidence? They said, no. I said, okay. I said, well, I'll wait to see the evidence with everybody else. I said, I'm not going to throw this guy under the bus. And I feel similarly about the Ali situation. That stuff has been around for a long time, promulgated by adversaries of his, which doesn't help, by the way. People that aren't very credible. And I saw a photograph. Somebody alleged, they said, oh, this is Ali with a kid he was abusing. And the guy in the picture is someone who I've seen around, and that guy is 27 years old. So I know that's a lie. <laughs> and I don't, you know, that that's very problematic for your credibility, actually. I think that, that really is, uh, that speaks to the whole situation. You got to disavow, you got to disavow. Here's a picture of him with one of his underage victims. Really? Because I know that guy, and that guy's 27. So... I hear a lot, lot of, lot of talk, lot of talk. Not a lot of receipts, though. So, um, and and here's the reason why I'm sympathetic. Many accusations have been made about me in a similar vein. Do you remember years ago there was allegedly a sex tape being shopped shopped around? Do you remember that there was some tip on Crazy Days and Nights that said. Rumor is somebody's asking for a quarter of a million dollars for the Nick Fuentes sex tape, which I know doesn't exist because I've never had sex. But everybody goes, oh boy, oh my, OMG. Really? And, uh, you know, and every other accusation and whatever. So that's, and I'm sympathetic to it for that reason. And also because, um, you know, I, you know how I am. I'm a loyal person. I don't throw people under the bus for no reason. Everybody's trying to get me to throw my friends under the bus all the time. And, um, you know, whether it's Beardson or Baked Alaska or Ethan Ralph or Loomer or Steve or literally anybody. So, so that's how I feel about it. But I'm not aware. Is that a new dilemma or what? Because I haven't heard anything about that lately. But I've heard about that a lot for a long time. Now, now that being said, now listen. Now that being said, here's the other side of it. If there's proof of pedophilic abuse, I'm the first person to disavow. There should be no tolerance for that, no acceptance of that anywhere. But that's a big accusation to make. Okay, and needs to be wrote. These songs we sing from where they come to where they go. And needs to be wrote. These songs we weave. Bye bye. <laughs>